0: let's open up with prayer how many of you guys love God's Word I love the presence of the Lord the mighty move of the Holy Spirit people being touched powerfully and all of that we need that but I also love the Word of God so much I'm a student of the Word I spend a lot of time in research and study and I know you feel the same way But Lord, as we get into the word tonight, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you. Where would we be today without your word to keep and sustain us, keep us anchored in life and and give us faith that we need? And so, Lord, as we get into the word tonight, I thank you for the heavens that are open here, your glory here. But I thank you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, moving upon every one of us that are going to be listening to this or watching this video or watching it live, we're going to watch it archived. I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to give you good soil of hearts and minds and lives that our eyes and ears are touched by the Holy Spirit anointed that we can see and hear by the Holy Spirit maybe things that we couldn't before on our own and our our hearts and minds are touched by the Holy Spirit to be good soil so the Word of God can go out as living seeds sown into that good soil watered by the Holy Spirit take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes, and that this this will be a powerful time, that there will be an intense anointing on this word, and it will go forth and accomplish everything you send it forth to do, because the Bible says the word will not return void, and I believe, I pray over these, and I believe, Lord, this is your word for tonight. I believe this is not just my opinion, and it's not just something that I'm, I, I feel is something like um, uh, would be get people's attention or something like that. But I believe this is what you're really saying to us, all of us. Lord, let there be a conviction on this. Let this go forth and hit everywhere it needs to. In the winds of your spirit, carry this out among the nations. It'll get everywhere it's supposed to accomplish everything it's supposed to. And we agree together as a church. The Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We must flee. We bind anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to get and accomplishing what it's supposed to in any life. We command the enemy to be bound in Jesus' name, and you will back off right now. And Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing away. Any resistance, this is an important word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so as we look at this tonight, I want you to look for just a moment here at this picture. This frog says desensitized. Now, the word desensitized, everybody please catch this. The word desensitized means having been made less sensitive through exposure did everybody catch that that people are made less sensitive because of being exposed to things over and over they get desensitized to it and so this picture this frog is the the famous example of the frog in the kettle that if you take a frog in warm water or cool water put him on in a kettle set him over a flame if you just gradually turn up the flame slowly over a long period of time, the frog will sit there and literally be cooked to death and never jump out of the kettle. Now, if you put the frog in there and it's cool water and you turn it up real fast and the water goes from cold to hot quickly, the frog will jump out. But if you do it slowly, it's like a slow death. The frog will sit there not realizing that what he's being exposed to around him is going to kill him. Is everybody catch this? So how many times do we see the scriptures warn us about these last days and things that are going on? And what I would say is we talked about the deep consecration service, and then we, we moved into last, last time I preached into defilement. But tonight, I want everybody, please give me your best ear. This is going to be a very sobering word tonight, but I'm going to talk about being desensitized. In these last days that we're living, we've got to keep our sensitivity. So I'm going to look at, I want to thank a, a man by the name of Rick Renner, who's a great teacher of the Word and a, a, written some amazing books. He was the one that initially got me interested. He was breaking down some of this. And so tonight, with as little moving around as possible, and give me your best, ear. try to lock in on this, uh, he broke down 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to look at this in a very interesting way that you've probably never seen it before, and I think it's going to be alarming to you. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 breaks down some very clear, specific prophecies of the last days. And if you take the Greek words, and you were to look up each word as to what it actually means in the Greek, and then you were to kind of blossom that out of Greek into English, and you were to go down each word and look at this, and you really broke it down to where it uh, one word was was kind of like the amplified Bible. It was amplified and you and you went through this whole passage. It's extremely interesting, but it's also extremely concerning, and I think every one of you are going to see some very concerning things as we go through this that you've seen with your eyes right now happening right before you. And so let's look at second Timothy chapter three. This may be for those that are joining us that may be listening to this by podcast. These notes are always available but podcasts don't ever have them. If you go to sermon.net and you look us up, there will always be notes connected to every sermon. I think we have about 400 sermons on there, and there's notes on them, almost every one of them. And so if you want the notes, you can go to sermon.net and get them, okay? So we make sure, I always try to put notes out there because it really helps people. Now, this is gonna be important. I would keep these notes in my Bible. I would refer back to this. I would pray over this. But let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, know this, in the last days perilous times will come. So the word know there, to know this, is not something casual. What that word means, Paul was saying here, you need to emphatically, categorically know with unquestionable certainty That in the very end of days, right before Jesus comes, that last season will stand in the midst of fierce, uncontrollable, unpredictable, hurtful, treacherous, menacing times that will be emotionally difficult for, for people to bear. Isn't that interesting? To know this. To know implies emphatically, categorically, you need to know this. That you need to really pay attention. And then it says, in the last day, perilous times. Perilous times can be translated fierce, as I've shared many times with you. So if you're off in the woods and you accidentally stumble upon a wolf, and all of a sudden this thing is raising up, the hair is sticking up on its back, its teeth are showing, he's beginning to growl, you can that's fierce. Okay, you've stumbled upon something fierce. In the same way the Bible says these last days are going to be fierce, they're going to be brutal, and these times are coming, and you need to emphatically know. So this phrase, know this, and then he goes on to say, in the last days, perilous times will come. Let me read this again. If you look at all this in the Greek and blossom it out into the fullness of what it's saying, it says, river of life and those listening and watching, you need to emphatically, categorically know. You need to pay close attention to what I'm saying here. You need to know with unquestionable certainty that these are going to be serious times you're going to be living in one day. Serious. And he said, before Jesus comes this last season, they will, it will be fierce. It will be uncontrollable, unpredictable. It's going to be hurtful and treacherous. It's going to be menacing times that will be emotionally difficult to bear up under these times. So I'm asking River of Life this question Are we really ready for this? By the end of this sermon, I'm going to tell you how we can be ready. But are you really ready? Because these times are, are stumbling, we've stumbled into these, they're upon us right now, and because of all the things going on in the world, it, it has become challenging, hasn't it? There's been warfare, as upped big time. We are facing more spiritual warfare today, there's so much of an upheaval in society, the times are uncertain. So much is going on. You look at the geopolitical scene and you think people have lost their mind. You look at the world and, and it just seems so crazy, all that, all that what's going on. And let me tell you, I may be getting ahead of myself, but be careful not to just fill your mind and yourself with negative things. If you're going to get all caught up with what the news is reporting all the time, you're just constantly watching negativity in the news, that can be depressing. And if you're listening to this political stuff 24-7, you get all caught up in that mudsling and all that filth and all that blah, blah, blah stuff in the political realm, you can get depressed, and I'm not kidding. You can get discouraged. You need to turn that junk off and start spending more time with the Lord and what He's doing in these last days and focus on what He's saying, and you will get encouraged. So these times, it, it seems to imply, will be difficult to emotionally bear up under these times. So don't weigh yourself down with all the negativity. Try to stay focused on what's positive, what God is doing. Don't stay focused on what the devil's doing. Amen? And then it goes on to say, men will be lovers of themselves. My Lord. What that's saying there in the Greek is this. Men will be self focused, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-consumed narcissists. They will be in love with themselves more than anyone else. Some people now, it's increasing in our culture, more and more and more of this is is happening, where people are just, their, their little God is just themselves, their selfish little selves. And let me just park here for a few moments. I feel like there's some things I need to say. One of the great problems that has been emerging over the last couple of decades in greater Christendom, I'm talking about the greater body of Christ, but especially here in America, is this right here. Let me tell you what I mean. See, instead of Church is preaching a sacrificial life like it actually is. Christianity is a sacrificial life. You're you're supposed to be totally dead to yourself, crucified with Christ, and that you're willing to die for what you believe. If the Lord's going to send you to a foreign land to be a missionary where you could die, you go because you love him. I mean, it's putting Jesus, number one, he is first, his will for your life is first, And then you put others before yourself. But what's happened is, unfortunately, is that greater Christendom has become so focused on just getting people to come, and so the message has changed. They're not talking about a sacrificial life. They're not talking about that you sometimes have to get up early or go to bed late, or maybe you have to go without sleep, maybe seasons of fasting and prayer. They're not talking about that. You understand what I'm saying? They're not talking about a sacrificial life. What they're talking about is something that's very narcissistic. It's just about people's selfishness, what they want. Just give people what they want, and they'll come. And it's working as far as that goes, but it's not changing anybody. And that right there, that narcissistic, selfish thing that some out there think is Christianity, I'm not so sure it is. It's something hybrid, it's something strange, but it's not true biblical Christianity. True biblical Christianity is a complete death to self and that you are living for the Lord 100% and that you, you're willing to serve others before yourself. And I'm gonna ask these questions as we go. Are we ready for these end times that we're in? Number two, are we living a sacrificial life Or are we just living for ourselves? And unintentionally, I wonder if the prosperity of the day we live in with technology isn't feeding this. Because there's nothing wrong with having nice things. But let me give you an example. The markets have gotten so insanely competitive, not about things that we desperately need for our survival. They've gotten insanely competitive just about luxury. And there's nothing wrong with having something nice. I mean, but it's so ridiculous. I mean, I, I have a cup right there. That, I mean, they have these cups now that keep things really hot or really cold. I have one. I like it. But the thing is, it shows the times that we're living in when that type of market is so insanely competitive and there's so much money invested in it because it's not about if you're going to live or die tomorrow. It's just about if your drink is cold or not. You understand what I'm saying? But I mean, in, in, like cell phones. I have a cell phone. I think I, to a degree I need a cell phone. But if it was gone tomorrow, I would still live the next day. But I'm not so sure that some people would. <laughs> I mean, and think about how competitive, ridiculously competitive the market is about this. It's a luxury item. Now, understand that if you're in a desperate situation, a car wreck, it could save a life because you can call or something. I understand that. But it's, I'm just making a point that there's so much now in our culture that's just about luxury it's not about survival anymore or a desperate need at all i'm talking a lot of things i mean gaming industry entertainment industry music industry clothing industry it's not about that you actually have clothes so you don't run around naked anymore no no it's about having the nicest and the in and all of these clothes you see what i'm saying and so without any intentional move in this area per se it has created a culture of narcissism. People people have become so focused on themselves and their own luxury and decadent living. And we got to be careful with this. Nothing wrong with having nice things, but if you're not careful, it it can change who you are. And I know I'll probably share this later. I'm probably getting ahead of myself in some of this. But I remember what changed me forever was doing some of these mission trips. And I went to some places where there was actually abstract poverty. I mean, people, we went to minister. All these people would go house to house and go through there. And I mean, they had dirt floors. They had just cement blocks of walls. They had a little wire that ran across where they'd wash clothes by hand, hang it up. They barely had food. And their water was dirty. It was like had dirt in the water. And, and that's how they live. And they're happy, but that's how they live. And I decided when I was there ministering to people, when I come back to America, I will never complain again. And from that time, since I was quite young, I don't complain about things. Because I've seen people don't have anything. People are going to sit around and whine about little stupid things in their life here in America that don't amount to anything. It's a luxury item, and people are all caught up about it. But listen, there's people out there, and and I'm telling you, I'm ahead of myself, I know this, but people that would be considered very low income in America live a far better life than the overwhelming majority of people in the rest of the world. That's a fact. But people are so caught up with just living for themselves. How many knows that material things will never really make you happy anyway? And then it goes on, men will be lovers of themselves. Some people are so selfish. They're so, so caught up with just themselves that they really don't care too much about what happens to their kids. They don't care what happens to other people around them so much. They're so just narcissistic, selfish about what I want, when I want it, how I want it. It's becoming an increasing thing. And then it goes on to say, lovers of money, boastful and proud. There's nothing wrong with having money. In fact, we need money to do things. We need money to do things for the Lord. I honestly can say that we would not really be able to do this conference next week without having the, any money. We've got to pay the light bill, we've got to have electricity we got to have things that we want to give the speakers an offering. we got to buy their plane ticket or the hotel or whatever. We have to have some money. But here's the thing to be concerned about. The love of money is the root of all evil. I knows there's a saying that says, follow the money, honey. Here's the thing. Most criminal activity, not necessarily all of it, but most criminal activity, look into this, finds its way back somewhere. As you keep going back, 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 you can find it'll find its way back to money. Most corruption that you're mad about in politics, what does it go back to? Money. So it says in the Bible that in the last days, there'll be a love of money. We need finances to do things. But some people, you know, even people that don't have a lot of money, they have such a love of money in them that they're so jealous of other people that have something they don't. Hello? Hello? Just because somebody's poor doesn't mean they don't have a love of money. Just because somebody doesn't have anything doesn't mean that they're not arrogant and proud. A bum on the street can get up and look at another bum on the street and kick him, get out of my way because he's arrogant. Just because he's poor bum on the street doesn't mean he's humble. Hello? But there's people that have nice things that are humble and they don't love money. They're givers. They want to help other people. But lovers of money, boastful and proud. I'll come back to a few others here in a moment. But as a result, we're looking at the Greek. As a result of this self-love, this insane selfishness, they will be driven to obtain more and more and more and more and more and more. We're going to have to be careful with this. And I believe that one of the ways God helps us to break that love of money is by being tithers and givers. And so God has given us something through his word where he teaches us that we're to be tithers and givers. And people that have never studied finances, in the Bible, I would encourage you, I did a series, you can look it up, called Kingdom Finance. I think it was three or four parts. But I broke down the seven realms of giving in the Bible. And my wife and I really do live this out because I want to be blessed by God. And not only that, but I don't want to be somebody that's just all about my selfishness. And we give, we're givers, and I know you are too. River of Life is a giving church. Benny Baker told me this one time as he traveled. He said, Pastor, he said, There's a, He said, I travel everywhere. He said, I go big places, small places, all over. He said, I've preached everywhere. I've preached in garages, and I've preached in huge sanctuaries. And he said, a lot of times the places I've gone that are bigger give pathetic offerings. And he said, places I go that are smaller, bless me, more than you could imagine. And I remember it came up because there was a rather large offering that came in for him one time here. It was substantial. Some people really gave a lot. And, and I know this from experience. I hate this, but it's true. That There's a lot of churches out there that wouldn't have given him that. They would have stole that from him, put it in their offering, and would have just gave him a little cut. He knows that because he travels, and I know that because I've seen it. And I go up there with this huge check, I mean, and give it to him, and he's, he's kind of crying. He said, Pastor, we really needed this. I, this is an answer to prayer. And he said, he's like, that's when he was telling me all this. And I was telling my wife, and she was kind of surprised. I said, there's a lot of places wouldn't have given him that. They would have stole. Here's the way I look at that. If all that money came in and people put on there for Benny Baker, all that comes into him, right? If I was to steal that and put it in the church and just give him some of that, I just stole from a man of God. Hello? That's a thief. Like, God's going to bless that. You'd be surprised how common stuff like that is. Do we, are we givers? Do we have some integrity about us in these areas? Are we tithers? Also, it goes on to say blasphemers. Let's go back to boastful and proud and blasphemers. But let me read to you here what I wrote looking at the Greek. These boasters. See, people that are boastful and proud, boasting implies exaggerating things, inflating it. It says these boasters are so committed to their own agenda that they're willing to exaggerate, overstate the facts, stretch the truth, embellish a story, even flat out lie if it will get them the position. The advantage or the goal they desire, they are arrogant, haughty, snooty, and insolent, and they disdain, mock, slander, and speak ill of anyone who stands in the way of their ideology, and they will freely use foul language with no qualms so let's look at this this is what it's saying here in the greek about boastful proud blasphemers boastful they will exaggerate things for their own means proud they're arrogant and then blasphemers they will disdain and mock is anybody seeing some of this in our society We're living in a time where, for example, I mean, look at the political realm. People will boast, people will exaggerate, people will flat out lie, do whatever they got to do to obtain some type of position. It's not just political, but I mean, how many places in the workplace do you see people that will do that? Embellish, exaggerate, lie, do whatever they got to do to get ahead. Proud, pride is a horrible sin. But the, the people that are proud are arrogant and they look down on others. And listen, blasphemers. What is blasphemers really saying here? What about those that are always using God's name in vain? I mean, you don't hear people like stub their toe, Buddha, why do they always say Jesus Christ? You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be serious here. But they don't. Why do they always use Jesus Christ or GD, this? They're always using God's name in vain. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. They disdain, they mock, they slander. They're using God's name in vain. They use the most ungodly language now. And this is a fact. I remember growing up, you know, they... There was a time when all of a sudden people started saying the word sucks and they began to just say that, a very sexual connotation to it. Then it goes to another word. And now as things have gone down the toilet bowl, now it's the F word this, F word that, F and this, all the time. It's gone from one word to the next word. And when I was growing up, and I believe it may still be the case somewhat, but the F word was bad enough that if it was just that in a movie, it'd make it R-rated. How many remember that? And if it was that in a movie, if they put it on regular TV, they would have to edit it out for, the t- for regular TV. But now people are just, there's, there's kids, when I say kids, I'm talking between the ages of 8 to 13 kids in our neighborhood that I hear them out there playing ball and stuff sometimes, GD this, F this, F that, and I'm just sitting there like, Wow wow but blasphemers foul language well there was a time that we used the phrase cussing like a sailor but now it seems like that's not uncommon with people my question is this without any intention on our part are we being desensitized to things you need to be careful Are we being desensitized to this type of foul language because it's become so common? Or does it grieve us when we hear that type of language? Don't let yourself get desensitized. Does it bother you when people are using God's name in vain? When people are saying all this, you have to sit next to somebody and it's just all this cuss words and filth they're spewing out, does that still grieve you? Inappropriate sexual humor, does that still bother you? You need to think about it. Are we being desensitized? Is something trying to deliberately desensitize us down? And also I would ask, how is our tongue? Because the worst thing we can do in a sermon like this is be thinking of your neighbor, your spouse, or whatever. This is a time for self-examination, amen? How, how is our tongue? How is your tongue? Are we saying things we wouldn't have said in the past? Now, has our language changed? There was a time that when I was younger that there would be people that maybe were were athletic or they were actors or they were musicians or whatever. And maybe they they came into the church world and they were entertainers of some kind or whatever. But if their lifestyle was such a, that they were out drinking and they were they used profanity or they were in some kind of sexual immorality or something the body of Christ wouldn't have put up with it and wouldn't have wouldn't have honored that and wouldn't have sold their stuff and wouldn't have accepted it as Christian that's changed now even people that are worship leaders can get away with it hello not just people entertaining now even people that lead worship can get away with it Something has happened to desensitize us. Things that would have never been accepted. I mean, alcohol would have never been accepted, but yet now look at it. And other things, I mean, whatever it is that, that the body of Christ at one time stood against, and what's concerning is I'm thinking right now of, of a particular music group that back in the past, they, things would not have been accepted, but now they openly use profanity, And you know, alcohol and et cetera, et cetera. They're they're worldly, but it seems like things have changed in the body of Christ to where that's acceptable now. There was a time that it would have been shunned, and they would have been in Christian bookstores, et cetera, would have said these people are not Christian. We don't endorse it. You understand? And then it goes on to say, after they're lovers of money and they're boastful, they exaggerate things, they're arrogant, they're blasphemers. And see, blasphemers will mock God, will mock the things of God. They'll make fun, blasphemers will make fun of God's house, God's people, They have no respect whatsoever for God. They have no respect for God's house, and they have no respect for God's leaders. They just mock and say things. They make fun. They slander. Now, that's a blasphemer, but then it goes on to say disobedient to parents. And what it's saying there is this. If I could read it this way in the Greek, in this climate, so think about all that we've read up to this point. With all this going on in this climate, it says parents will no longer be able to persuade, control, lead, or exercise authority over their children. And we're living in a strange time about that. I don't understand this. But there's goofy parents out there now that the greatest problem in that child's life, Now there's still some good parents. I'm not trying to stereotype. There's still some wonderful parents out there. But there are some goofy parents out there that the greatest problem in that child's life is their parent. That's a fact they don't want to they don't care about what's best for their kid as a matter of fact, there's parents out there, and this is a fact some of you that are Christians that say no way, oh yes, there's parents out there that would rather their kids be messing around with alcohol and drugs and premarital sex and things that will send them to hell, mind you. Rather than messing around with that than they would praying, reading their Bible, and going to church. Yes, there are. And some of the greatest hindrances to kids and their destiny in God is their parents. And I think about now, it's out of control. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. She does some things with the public school system. But public schools are out of control. You don't know. Some of you grew up in school back so many decades ago. You don't know. I'm telling you, it's out of control. Kids pretty much do what they want to do. And if the teachers and people have to get on to them, many times they get reamed out for getting on to them. A, 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 a teacher will get on to a kid for doing something they're not supposed to do to dread it because they know the parent's going to show up and, and cuss them out because they got onto their kid for bad behavior. I could tell some stories, I'm trying to use a lot of discretion here, but I'm telling you, eyewitness accounts, my wife has told me stories I could not believe of how insane this actually is, but it's there. What's happening? Disobedience to parents. No respect for authority. This is the climate. And so Christians, listen, if you really care about your kids, and there are people that do, there are people, wonderful parents that They love their kids. They're willing to sacrificially do what they got to do to take care of their kids and all that. If you really care about your children, Christian parents out there, you really need to consider something other than just public schools. Okay, just consider it. Maybe you happen to be in a school district where it's not like that and you have a really good setup there. I don't know. But more and more schools are going down the toilet bowl, and we all know it. And not only that, Did you know that they were talking about this on 700 Club on the news and stuff. They're saying that now there's been an explosion in America of homeschooling like no other time in our history. Why? Parents are fed up with it. Parents are fed up with their kids being indoctrinated into liberalism. They're tired of stuff being crammed down their kid's throat like this LGBT garbage. They're fed up with the, that whole critical race theory, which is trying to inbre- like inbreed into their children, if you will, some, engender in them some type of a permanent racist in the rest of their life. And parents have had enough of it. So the question is for us as Christians... We need to examine ourselves. Are our homes really, truly in order? Are husbands rising up and leading their family in the ways of God for real? I heard this one pastor, he he went on a tangent. It was funny. I don't think he intended it, but I think this thing went viral. And he was over there, he had his Bible up, and he was like, some of you men are so pathetic he said, your wives are so much more spiritual than you. And he said, I don't understand it. Why don't you rise up and be the leader God's called you to be? He must have had something going on where he was grapping out some of those men. But we're living in a time where, where men are abdicating that. They're not rising up and leading and being what they need to be, what their families need them to be. Our wives submissive in everything as unto the Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I got a wonderful wife. I'm serious. I'm not saying that because of her, but I'm saying in our culture, you and I both know Jezebel is rampant. People, you start talking about wives smitten unto husbands. Listen, even, in, even among Christian movies and, and, and Christian sermons, you'll hear them say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and then they'll change the channel because they know if they say the rest of that and wives submitted everything to your husbands as unto the Lord, they know it's going to tick off some people. Hello? (laughs) Pay attention to it. You'll see it. I remember Pastor Scott told me that they do that. They'll say the first part and then they won't say the rest of it. But see, the Bible says wives to be submissive. That means to come up under that authority and do what you're told. And that may mean sometimes the husband says no, even though you want something. See, you never know somebody's rebellious until they're told no. And how they respond is very, very much going to be evident to everybody if they're submissive or not. So are our homes in order? Are our children submissive in honoring their parents like they should? See, that's where it's got to start. Society, what we've got to all understand is, is in these last days, these end time prophecies are going to be fulfilled. These things are going to happen. You can leave out here and say, well, I don't like it. So I'm going to pray and fast till it doesn't happen. And you're going to to like shrink down to, to nothing and waste away in all your fasting. Because if the Bible says it's going to happen, it's going to happen whether you like it or not. These things are going to happen. But here's what we need to understand. God isn't saying that he's gonna change that. What he's saying is, is that you be different than what's around you. You live for me. You honor my word. You do what you're supposed to do. And so we need to ask this question in our own lives. Are we, are our homes in order? And are we under authority? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing in these areas? And then this next one. It says, after disobedient to parents, unthankful. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. When I went on these mission trips and I saw people living like they were living, I made a decision in myself that stayed with me. I was young. I was probably in my late teens, early 20s. I made a conscious decision within myself that I was not going to complain anymore. Because I've seen how a lot of people out there live, and especially in other countries, America's blessed. We don't understand how blessed we really are unless you go up to other countries and you'll understand. But are we really thankful? A lot of people are unthankful. And the Bible says in these last days that they would be people that would be lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and unthankful. Could it be that all the luxury and all the decadent living that we're accustomed to because of the current age we live where there's technology and, and prosperity that, that make it readily available to us? Things are easier than, you understand, I mean, 100 years ago, it wasn't like it, a lot of people don't understand that this is a relatively new thing. If somebody, women, 100 years ago were going to make dinner for the family, it was gathering in wood. It was starting a fire. I mean, it was a long, drawn-out process, maybe killing and plucking the chicken. We have things so easy because of technology that we don't reali- we've been desensitized to how easy it really is for us. And as you think about, uh, I'm going to read this now as far as unthankful, that word. Although they were once thankful and appreciative, they will generally become void of gratitude and totally unappreciative of everything having, listen to this, having a sense of entitlement. Hello? That people should just give them things that they did not earn and they do not deserve. Wow. Wow. Of all the things I've read in here so far, this one right here really sticks out to me. Is it not true that there's a, a greater sense now in the generations coming up, a greater sense of entitlement than any other time in our history? People think that others should just give them things. And they get a real attitude problem when you don't. I think honestly, that even in our society here in America, that the, even that the Democratic Party, a lot of their what they're running on is this sense of entitlement. They can just give people free stuff and get their votes. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't raised that way. Me and my wife were watching this show the other day and I can't remember all the details, but it was back in like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, And this young lady had to take a test, and it was really stressful because it was like a test that was going to determine her future. And she goes in there. She's been studying, and she she went up to this lady that was behind the desk, and and the lady said something uh, to her that was just, you know, like she didn't care. And the young lady laughed and said, oh, you're just trying to make me laugh because this is such a stressful time and the lady said no she said i don't care if you're here or not if you pass this test or not i'm only here because i'm getting paid to be here now go take your test and go sit down (laughs) and i rewound it and said that's why we're not a bunch of sissies right there that's (laughs) that's how we were raised how many know what i'm talking about how many guys went to school where everybody didn't get a trophy how many of you guys went to school where the teachers did not care about your little feelings? I mean, come on. And, and they didn't feel like they need to tiptoe around your little feelings. I mean, how many of you remember how coaches were in school? I mean, they had to teach a class, right, to be employed at the school district. So they had to teach a class, usually history or something like that, right? How many of you guys remember those coaches didn't care about whether your little feelings or not. They were like drill sergeants. I mean, sit down and shut up, you know. They didn't care. And that right there is why we're, we didn't grow up with that sense of entitlement. And we didn't grow up emotionally fragile. We grew up with some people putting us in, in our place and telling us to suck it up, grow up, sit down, listen to the rules, do what you're told. And that's, that right there is what's missing now. People want to tiptoe around their little feelings and just, But you know what it's creating? A sense of entitlement and people that don't appreciate anything. They think they deserve it. I went to a game uh, recently. It was a baseball game. My wife and I went to for one of our grand boys. And nothing, nothing negative. I don't mean any, anything really critical about it all, but it was just weird. When I was growing up, I mean, you, you were competitive. You went out there to, to win a game. I mean, you practiced. There was a lot of trash talking. You went out there, and you were there to win, right? And it was like they were all there from this time. Let's just say, I think it was like from 6 to 7.30, and then they just ended where it was at, and they just made sure everybody got to play, and that was it. There was no competition. It was like everybody kind of won at the end of it almost. It was weird. And I remember watching it just thinking, this is really straight, just because it was different to me. Is this making sense tonight? Maybe we need to take some of this younger generation and just throw them all in the military and give them all a drill sergeant that ain't going to take nothing off of them for a little bit. Or ship them off to another country for about six months where they have to see how everybody else lives and then they'll come back and appreciate what they have. We'll send the drill sergeant with them just to slap them around a little bit. But are we truly, now let's ask the question for ourselves, are we truly appreciative of what we have? Or are we those that are really not thankful and there's a sense of always just wanting more and more and more and grumbling and complaining because we don't have. okay? This is concerning. this is this is a warning for all of us. And then it gets it gets worse as it keeps going. Then it says that they would be unholy. We know holy has to do with being set apart into God, but because you're set apart you're going to live a pure life, right? So there's a sense with holiness of not only being set apart unto God, but there's a sense of really sanctifying your life unto him because you are holy unto him. And so this is what in the Greek it's implying here, that there would be impurity, impurity, that will seep into society and cause it to become so impure So ill-mannered, unclean, indecent, coarse, vulgar, offensive, lewd, hateful, rude. Let me ask you, are we living in a time when it's vulgar? There was a time, here's the question, are we being desensitized? Because as almost silly as it sounds today, Back in the 50s, I believe, when Elvis Presley was the thing, you know, and he would dance, gyrating his little hips or whatever, they would show him from the waist up because they didn't want anything. And that, that was in the secular world. I remember it was funny a little bit, but do you know why at Lucy and Ricky or on Dick Van Dyke and these old ones, they'd have two beds? Remember that? There was this sense of decency, you know, because they figure, well, little kids are watching, and, this and there was a sense of decency about things. But now, look at entertainers. You've got people that will strip down almost naked sex acts in their, in their dancing. I mean, they're dancing using sex acts in the dance. Perform, some of them bring in some very dark witchcraft type ritualistic stuff into, the, into it, it's very strange. And it's anything that, it, that can be vulgar, indecent, and disgusting before God. They want to flaunt that there. And it says before Jesus comes that it would become so unholy, so vulgar. And then it goes on. In verse 3 it says, without natural affection. Now, remember this because I'm going to explain it in a moment about normal love, like the love between a parent and child or a child and parent, like normal love, that even people that are not Christians out there, they still have like a normal love, right? That they would not be that natural affection. Hello? Then it goes on to say truce breakers. These are people that will give you their word And then they'll lie. They don't keep their word. Truce breakers. Then it says slanderers. If there's ever been a time that there's been slanderers, there's people that will sit around, I mean just talk trash and just slander other people. Even family members. Even people in the church. They'll slander them. What is slander? Sitting around talking so bad about them, trying to smear their character and get the people they're talking to to hate them. Slander. Then it goes on to say unrestrained. You know what unrestrained is? That they, they're not under control anymore. There's a true story about some of this. I, I've been shocked about some of the things that's gone on. There was, there was a true story recently, just a couple months back, of a guy that was shot and killed in a road rage. He was a husband and a father of little kids, shot and killed. You know why? I wasn't there to know the details, but the guy that was shot and killed was doing the windshield fluid on his windshield, and it got on another guy and ticked him off. Is anybody else seeing how unrestrained that is? You would lose your temper and kill somebody because they sprayed your windshield with their windshield wiper fluid. I mean, it's insane. It was another time, a whole nother incident where, where somebody it showed it on the news. This guy got cut off or something and he was mad and he pulled a gun out of his glove box. Now this guy had a camera inside of his car. So what he was thinking to even do that. But unrestrained. When people are unrestrained, they don't think. They just do crazy stuff. And the guy pulls the gun out and he's shooting through his windshield at another car. He could have killed somebody over just probably cutting them off or something. My wife was telling me she was going to work one early morning and some guys just went crazy. And one guy was trying to run another guy off the road and she's sitting there watching this. I mean, how many of us have seen some insane stuff ourselves out on the roads? People just in a rage. You know what that is? Unrestrained. What about what we've seen on the streets when these, when these uh, liber- liberals don't get their way? Listen, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that, but I'm just going to, is it okay to just tell the truth? The liberal left is saying to be tolerant loving, yet they're the most unloving, intolerant people on the planet when they don't get their little way, there's literally riots in the streets, literal riots where people get maimed and possibly killed and, and, and people's stores burned to the ground, everything else. Why? Because they didn't get their little entitled little way. They didn't like something. Unrestrained. When you're a person that will go out on the streets and you will try to maim and kill somebody and you'll try to burn down their family business and go out there and loot and destroy and all this, there is something seriously wrong with you. Unrestrained, no self-control, you go into a blind rage. And it goes on to say fierce. And look at this, despisers of those who do good. Despisers. How many have seen that there seems to be a a hatred and a despising of Christians? It's interesting, right at the beginning, Adam and Eve had their first kids, Cain and Abel. What did Cain get mad about? Cain got mad because Abel did what God said and because he was living right before God His offering was accepted because he was doing right. Cain didn't want to do it the way God said. He wanted to do it on his own terms, and so God did not accept his offering. So instead of Cain saying, God, I'm sorry that I've been rebellious. I'm the problem. Forgive me and change. He didn't do that. He kills Abel because he's jealous of the fact that Abel's right with God. You see people that hate and despise christians because deep down they're jealous of of their whatever their their life that god's blessed them jealous of the blessing on their life but they seem to hate the the people of god and also traitors you know a traitor is a backstabber a judas somebody that that should be one way to you maybe you've helped them in life maybe You've um, let them stay with you for a time. You help them clean up things in their life. You've maybe given them money. You minister to them. Maybe you really sincerely help them, yet they go and betray you. They hate you, and they get other people to hate your guts too. That's a Judas. Reckless, conceited, and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Are we living in a time where people are lovers of pleasure? Isn't it amazing that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesied these things almost like 2,000 years ago, mind you, that he prophesied that right before Jesus comes, that that generation would see these things coming up in and that, in that it would be fierce. It would be perilous times. It would be dangerous times. And, and he went on to give descriptive terms about, about the self-centeredness of people and about the unrestraint that would be there, that it would be dangerous. And he saw that people would have a sense of entitlement. Is it, is it, as you look at this, isn't this amazing that this was prophesied And when you look at the Greek and break it down, we're literally seeing specifics in this happen. Anyway, and so I'm just going to read this paragraph of uh, how it could possibly read if you go back to the Greek and kind of it's flowered out of the Greek. But it says this, the Holy Spirit forecasted a self-focused, self-absorbed, self-centered society in the last days that would be filled with people ruled by a sense of entitlement. Who do not understand boundaries live only for their own self gratification. I mean, if they want to go to work one day, they will. If they don't want to go to work, they won't. Are we seeing a time now when people won't work? They will have a love for and a commitment to family that will disintegrate. So you'll see, like, the love for and the commitment to family disintegrate. Are we seeing this? And it says divorce will become epidemic because of that with irreconcilable differences being the major factor of tearing families apart. In fact, every imaginable type of covenant will be regularly violated and the court system will be overwhelmed as people go overboard suing and being sued. Frivolous lawsuits. People will generally lose the ability to say no and will be unable to control their instincts in nearly every area of life, road rage. People will become fierce, savage, and violent, like we're seeing not only in road rage, but also in these, uh, you know, on the streets and stuff. And it will eventually feel like there are no laws to protect the innocent. And you know, there's true stories of people, I heard one person say that somebody broke into their house and then they, they got hurt in the incident, and then sued the people. Unbelievable. I don't think that would happen in Texas, but there's places it will. It says, it will eventually feel like there's no laws to protect the innocent. People will find it easy to walk away from commitments, like marriages, etc., and easy to throw away relationships, even family. They will become reckless, impulsive, and known for their enjoyment of violence. They will become full of pride and inflated with a sense of self-importance to the extent that it may end up feeling like society is being hit by a storm. Meanwhile, people will become fixated on the unattainable pursuit of selfish happiness and pleasures more than they love God. Hello? Let me read that again. Meanwhile, people will become fixated on the unobtainable pursuit of selfish happiness and and pleasures more than they love God. And they will have no concern for what God thinks or feels. Wow. (laughs) Sobering, isn't it? What's the most sobering about this is that we're not talking about something one day that will happen. You'll warn your grandchildren, it's coming. We're not talking about that. We're talking about we're living right in the middle of this right now. Why do you think that, okay, so the church world, we're seeing such a falling away. And it's because of the perilous times we're in. We're seeing people get away from God. We're seeing uh, the church change. I mean, with instead of the church being what we need to be in many places, they've changed with more of a seeker-sensitive thing to cater to these type of people. Instead of preaching the truth and being what we need to be, that calls these type of people to an altar of repentance. And then he goes on to say in verse five, and this is very concerning too, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. One preacher said that there's some out there that all the anointing power, that they have, if it was all gathered up, I mean all put together like a stick of dynamite and it all blew up at one time, it wouldn't be enough power to blow their nose. (laughs) But the end of the age, let me read this now from the Greek, the end of the age will see apostasy emerge inside the church. And apostasy, it will dress itself in the guise of Christian faith, but like a mannequin, it will contain no life and no power. Wow. So you know what apostasy is? An apostate is somebody that walked with the Lord and then they turn their back on him and they forsake the Lord. And see, we're living in a time when when there's tares among the wheat, there's goats among the sheep. And as revival is about to come, when I say revive, a lot of people use this now as a catchphrase. It's a big thing, and they, and they don't realize they better be careful because when true, a true sovereign move of God comes, all of us better get on our face and get right with God. It's not a catchphrase. It's God visiting us with his holiness and his power to repent. So the end of the age will see a great emergence of apostasy. In fact, Paul said this in Thessalonians, he said that this day of the Lord will not come until the falling away happens first and it, it's apostasia. In the Greek, it's an apostasy. What it means is, they would, here's what Paul's saying. Before Jesus comes, there's gonna be a lot of people that once called themselves Christians that will abandon the faith. That's what it's saying. Are we not seeing that right now? But we need to ask ourselves, are we living a life that's lining up with God's word? Have we, been, have we been desensitized? Because I believe with all my heart, I really do. I'm not saying this to, to make you feel good or to try to hype you up. I believe God has another major sovereign move of God about to come. But this move of God is going to cause us to get in a supernatural harvest. But this move of God is also going to get us ready to meet the Lord in the air but we better submit to the move of God. And God needs to deal with every one of our hearts, all of us, and make sure that every area of our lives is right with him. Because this apostasy is serious. These are people that once walked with the Lord or were in church and called themselves Christians that are now, have fallen away from the faith. Now it says about all this, turn away from such people. Now, this is a strong warning. I was reading this the other day to my family kind of explaining this scripture. But in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it tells us to not associate with everybody. Now, he goes on to say this. Now, look at this. It says in 2 Timothy 3, it goes through all this list of people, boasters, proud, blasphemers, blah blah. all this, right? And it gets down to the end. It says, from these type of people, turn away. Don't associate with them. Okay, now look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul said, I write to you in my letter to not keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or the covetous extortioners, idolaters, since you would have to leave the world to do that. Okay, for example, you're going to work with these type of people non-Christian people, you know. But he says this, listen to what Paul's saying in verse 11. But I have written to you to not keep company with any man who calls himself a brother. If somebody calls themselves a Christian, but they are sexually immoral. Any sex outside of marriage between a husband or wife is sexual immorality. If they call themselves a Christian and they're living that way, and it says, or they're covetous. Covetous is you're envying what others have. You want things. You're just really into things. And, and you're mad because people won't give you things. There's probably a sense of entitlement in that. Or an idolater. Or a reviler. Or a drunkard. Or an extortioner. He says with those type of people, if they call themselves a Christian, and they're like this, they're living in this, they're a drunk or they're an extortioner, or they're somebody that swindles others out of money. He's saying with those type of people, don't associate with them. He says, don't even eat a meal with those type of people. Hello? And then it goes on in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three: bad company corrupts good character. So God's telling us that these times are upon us. We're in the midst of it right now. And we've got to examine ourselves. Is there anything in me that the Bible has warned about? Am I, is there any area of my life that's not lining up with the word? I need to repent. I need to make sure my life is right. My home's in order. My heart's right. My mouth is sanctified. The way I think about things is right. I'm not caught up with this world. You know, God's not against people having nice things. In fact, Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom, God, God will give you these things. But, he, but the problem is, is that people are chasing after things too much, and they're so absorbed with things. What I'm concerned about is there's people I'm seeing emerging in our culture. There's still some wonderful people out there, okay, but there's people emerging that is increasingly self-centered and self-focused to where it's like they're their own God, and every, everybody else takes a distant second and they don't really care anything about God, they just so in love with themselves. They really don't care too much if their kids end up in hell. They don't really care that their kids' lives could be destroyed in the future. They're not really concerned about anything other than their own selfish little self, what they want, when they want, how they want it. And the culture that we're living in now facilitates that because every business endeavor out there is about catering to that. You can have Burger King, you can have it your way in five minutes. Nothing wrong with having it your way in five minutes. But the problem is, is that whenever everything in society is like that all the time, it promotes, it can promote this selfishness in people that they want what they want when they want it, how they want it. And whenever you start moving into Christianity, that will never work. God isn't gonna give you what you want, when you want it, how you want it. He's saying, you die to yourself and you live for me and I'll do what I want when I want. And see, we're, we're in a time where, there, you know, I think about, somebody said about Charles Finney. They said that Finney, they came in one time, he was praying. And they said that he was on his face in prayer just I mean, wasn't saying hardly anything for like an hour, and then he then he started groaning and crying. Oh Lord, we're asking for this, and then he prayed for a little bit, and then then he kind of went back out for another long time, just waiting on God, and that whole concept of death to our flesh, and spending time in God's presence, and really studying the Word, and and that whole concept of of giving God time is kind of gone in this culture because people just want some quick, easy thing. You understand? And even, I'm seeing it even in my, okay, so back in the 90s, I would read books that were really, I mean, deep, and you would have to read and study these things, and I mean, and there was a depth to it, and I loved it. And I, You'd spend hours reading the Bible and reading certain books and studying it out and all that, And now even books you buy in a Christian bookstore are more like little shallow daily devotionals that are quick. It gives you some point in like no time. And they don't, is this making sense? I'm hoping that I'm conveying this properly. But the concept here of really sacrificially giving God our time and spending time with him in prayer and really studying things and growing in our faith and laying down our lives is... And you know I always joked about this, but it's kind of it's not really funny if you ask people to um come out in many churches to to do things like a prayer meeting or to fast or something hardly anybody's going to show you got three hundred people and you'll literally have three see that's the problem right there and and you'll ask people well let's come out and let's go go out evangelizing again same results because a lot of times People are just caught up with themselves. And I'm just asking this question for all of us, where are we at in this? If if right now today, River of Life and God was calling us to go on a season of fasting or to 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 come together and, and go out and sacrificially get out there and witness and do things or to even sacrificially give, which I'm not asking anybody to do that or anything. I'm just making a point. That would people do that? Would are our hearts there? Are we ready for that? Are we living a life that's sacrificial and totally dead to self saying, Lord, because when revival comes and and it goes late nights and maybe early mornings and long hours and, and, and sacrificially having to spend time praying for all these people and doing things, I mean, it can be taxing. Are we at a place where we're so dead to ourselves and surrender to the Lord that we're willing to give up our time for him? This is convicting for all of us. And so I'm thinking to myself, just as you are, Lord, I want to be at a place. I mean, you think about how Jesus lived when he came. I mean, every day he was totally sacrificial. He didn't even have his own house to go home to. He would sleep out in the fields and stuff, you know? I mean, the guy would go all night sometimes in prayer or ministry to people and was exhausted. You know why he was asleep on the boat? Because he was sheer exhausted, from, from praying for everybody all night the night before, that he was so tired that he fell asleep on the boat even though there was a storm. And they had to come wake him up. And Jesus was sacrificial, giving himself for the gospel. So we have to think about, are we gonna lay down our lives to really serve the Lord because we're living in a culture that is so selfish, And I really feel like for all of us, I'm gonna be going into a series before long and it's called the God of Blood Covenant and I'm gonna be dealing with some things I think will really help people. But we're in a time where we can't play games anymore, spiritually. We're in a time where, where it's, it's serious and we're gonna to have to use some smarts. Now, let me go ahead. I feel led to say this before I close out, but I was trying to, to explain this one time to somebody, and I, I think the whole point was missed, like way over the head, missed completely. But we're going to have to be in a time now that we're living where we ourselves are going to have to use a little bit of wisdom about where we are and what we're doing to not put ourselves in harm's way. For example, if you're driving down the road and people are being this that, and the other, you don't have to provoke road rage. I think that we're living in a time that since we understand how crazy some people are and that people might have a gun, then maybe we just need to just just let it go. <laughs> Amen? Back in the time, when I, and I hate this is the case, but it's true, when everything was coming to a head back at the last presidential election right before him. And the whole thing with Trump and Biden and all that, and, I mean, it was contentious. And my wife's sister was saying that up where they're from, which is like a Washington, Oregon, Pacific Northwest area, she was saying that if people had a Trump bumper sticker, that it's very possible their car would get vandalized really bad. And if they were wearing Trump paraphernalia and they were out in public, they might get jumped. And, all, and she was saying it was, it was really, really perilous times. And, um, you know, my wife and I just kind of leave politics out of, you know, we have like a little business and family-owned mom-and-pop business and all that. We just kind of leave that out of it, don't we? You know what I'm saying? Just leave politics out of it. Because there's people that will give you business, but there's people that may get ticked off and not give you business because of your political views or whatever. Which is kind of the point I was trying to make with somebody. But think about it. Maybe we're living in a time where we need to just be more cautious about what we're doing and where we're at because of the fierceness of the times. Because you, you could accidentally put yourself in a situation that could be dangerous and not even realize you're doing it because the times have changed. You could accidentally maybe even put your family in danger, your, your wife or your little children in danger because you're thinking back 20 years ago the way it was and times are different now. And we need to be a little more wise about where we're at, what we're doing, and just kind of use some wisdom here so that we don't end up bringing something our way that is unnecessary. Is this making sense? So we better get serious about our faith, and here's what I want to close with. We're going to have to make up our minds, River of Life. Every one of us is a personal thing that we're going to stand firm For what God's for. And we're going to stand firm against what God's against. If you're going to do that, you have to understand that you may be hated by people, even family. If you're going to stand for what God's for, and you're going to stand against what God's against, you're going to have to make up your mind that you're not going to compromise for anybody, that you're going to stand resolute with the Lord, but you may be hated for it, including even with people that are, that are family. And even maybe people you would have never thought that live around you or you work with, if you're going to stand for God, there's going to be hatred for it. Number two, we need to have homes where the glory of God dwells. You know, I was talking about the blasphemers earlier. I don't want to get desensitized to all this foul language and ungodly stuff in entertainment, okay? So we have filters on our TV, etc., and I'm selective and all that. But you don't want all that stuff spewing off on you and affecting you where you're desensitized to it. We're living in a time where people are even desensitized now to sex outside of marriage being wrong. That's behind us now. Now they're trying to push homosexuality and eventually pedophilia. I mean, the whole thing about sex outside of marriage is behind it. People are already desensitized to that. So you just need to be careful because you don't want that stuff spewing out on you, desensitizing and affecting you spiritually, but you also don't want it spewing out into your home and creating a sterile, nasty environment for your home. You want your home to be a place where the glory dwells. Number three, are our families really in order? We need to make some tough choices here to make sure our families are in order. And if your children, in the day and age we're living, if your children are in a difficult situation in schools, you need to consider some type of either Christian school or homeschool. You really need to consider this because the way your children grow up can affect the rest of their life. Also, we're going to have to have a very strong prayer life and knowledge of God's word for ourselves. This is a very personal thing, isn't it? I mean, Christianity, there is a sense of a corporate thing, but it's also a real personal thing. I mean, you have to have a personal relationship with the Lord that nobody else can really do for you. So there's a sense of me developing my prayer life and me knowing God's word for myself. And also, we're going to have to be the intercessors and the witnesses we're called to be. Some of you have wayward family and all that. You better, uh, me too. We better be the intercessors that we need to be. Because if we don't, they may not make it. They need our prayers. These are perilous times. We're going to have to be intercessors, but we're also going to have to be the witnesses God's called us to be. People need to see Jesus in us and we need to be sharing our faith as the Lord leads us to do so. It seems like years ago, there was a little bit more of a, a movement of the Holy Spirit here for that. We need, and it's kind of like drawn back a little, but we need another wave of the Holy Spirit coming in that will break open a harvest field again. And, that's, and it's kind of like waned a little bit here in Dallas lately. And not that we're not witnessing because we are. But I'm saying that you can sense that things have waned some and God's about ready to pour out his spirit again. And there's gonna be an intense move of the Holy Spirit in the days to come. So think about these last three sermons I've preached. Are we deeply consecrating our lives? Okay, are there things in our lives that are defiling us? We need to be careful that we're not defiled because defilement comes even if you're not sinning You can be around things that will have a sense of defilement on you. Remember that sermon? And then thirdly, we need to be careful that we are not being desensitized to things in these last days. I think about some of the the sexual stuff out there and some of the foul language that's out there and, and the evil that's out there. It should still grieve us. We shouldn't be comfortable with it. You understand peter said about lot he he lived in sodom but his righteous soul (coughs) excuse me (coughs) his righteous soul was grieved by what he saw around him all the time he didn't get desensitized to it although he shouldn't have been in there in the first place that's a whole nother sermon isn't it but he was grieved So don't allow yourself to get desensitized to the evil that's out there because that's what Satan wants. He's wanting people, society, to keep getting so vulgar, so indecent, so ungodly, so unholy, so desensitized to such a place that they will gladly accept the Antichrist and think nothing of it. And there's already people that are like that. Hello? Hello? We're almost there. I know you guys know this, but I'm telling you, we're not looking at decades. We're, we're close to the coming of the Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you as, as this sermon goes out tonight. Help us, Lord, to stay sensitive to you. We want our lives to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and your conviction. We want our lives to line up with your word. We don't want anything in our lives that would grieve you in any way. Lord, let this get where it needs to accomplish what it's supposed to and help us, Lord, to be deeply consecrated, undefiled as a bride, ready to meet you in the air. Not desensitized, but rather, we're going to be really sensitive to you and your leading. And we're going to live a righteous life before you. Lord, we thank you for now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. And before we go tonight, this in a few days, we're going to have our conference. And there's going to be a lot of prayer. You guys are going to be getting prayer every night. Um, at least I'm going to ask Sergio to pray both nights. I'm going to ask Ralph to pray both nights. We're going to have a lot of prayer, a lot of impartation, all that. But I want us to pray for a few moments before we go. Just where you're at, make an altar. If there's any of this that convicted you or dealt with you, now would be a good time to pray about it. But also... I want us to pray for our nation. I want us to pray for our loved ones for a few moments. That God really begin to move like never before. So if you could, Sandy, just put on something back there that worship and just maybe be on a screen or something where people can stay on.